Welcome to the Geek and I Podcasts. We are part of the Geek News Now Podcast Network. You can find us online at facebook.com slash geek and I. We are sponsored by Sumner Twins Talent. Visit them online at facebook.com slash Sumner Twins. And by Metallic Dice Games. Everything you need for your gaming experience, use promo code GNN at checkout and save 10%. And let us bring in my co-host this week and every week, the ever-dapper groove master, Jeff Dickinson. Hey, Jeffrey, how are you today, sir? Going pure awesomeness, man. How's it going with you, sir? It is going well. Uh, did you have a good week? Did you do anything special? Oh, yeah, man. Every week's a blessing, especially when we could end up doing another podcast. Isn't that cool or what? Well, that's the, that's, that's the end of my week, the, the week of the recording of the podcast. Do you want to um, get started by introducing our next guest? Oh, yeah, man. Check this out. This cat's really cool. He is the co-founder and president of the world's first fan-owned entertainment company. It's called Legion M. Let's welcome to the show, Jeff Anderson. <laughs> Woo! Oh, do I? I feel like I should be saluting. And <laughs> <laughs> at attention. All right. All righty. <laughs> Thank you for the entrance music. I think that's the first time I've ever entered to hail to the chief. That's awesome. You know, that's, that's why I set it up because I've been going through, you know, going through all some of the uh, the, the recordings and stuff. And I'm like, you know, this dude's the president. You got to do something for him. So that's we, didn't, awesome. we, didn't, we didn't have the limos sent out for you, but uh, at least we got some. We got that's some. Fine. That's fine. I'll take what I can get. Okay. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. I'm excited to be here and uh, lo really looking forward to chatting. How's uh, how is how are things out in uh, California? I, I, I as good as to be expected. I mean, given all everything that's going on around us, you know, politically and uh, uh, obviously with the pandemic, and you know, we're we're everything's fantastic. I mean, every day I wake up and and like you said, Jeff, I think every day is a blessing, and and I'm just. Uh, I'm very fortunate to be doing something that I absolutely love um, and that gives me a lot of strength and purpose uh, in life. And so, um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to be here. Now, um, just for um, purposes of, you know, being full disclosure, um, Jeff and I are um, members and investors in Legion M. Um, and basically the reason I, I wanted to have you on the program this week is because it's been a while since we've um, gotten to hang out, um, you know, at a, at a meetup because of what's, what's been going on. And um, I wanted to, to, you know, just sit back, chat, have a, you know, like, like Jeff said, a couple of dudes talking about things that they like. Um, but uh, let's get started with, with Legion M. Um, what was, and I don't think I've ever asked you this before. What was the doc Brown moment, you know, where you, where you fell off your toilet and hit your head. And then when you woke up, you decided, Hey, you know, this fan entertainment, this fan owned entertainment company, what, you know, would, would be a great idea. What was, 
How did that come about? Oh, that's well, it was when we were hooking up the jumper cables to the DeLorean. And just at that <laughs> moment, the lightning struck. And uh, no, it's, um, I mean, honestly, for Legion M, it's, it's, there wasn't a single moment. It was really almost like a, a series of events that kind of put us in a position of seeing what we thought was literally a once in a lifetime opportunity. And so, you know, just to set the table, Paul and I, Paul's the other co-founder of Legion M. Uh, we've been working together for over 20 years now. We founded our first startup company along with one other guy named Philip Alvelda. But the three of us started a company in 1999. Um, and that was my first startup company. It was Paul's first startup company. And Philip brought us together. And, um, you know, we've been serial entrepreneurs ever since, uh, you know, we, with that first company, Moby TV, I'm happy to talk about that. We were the first ones in the world to put live television on a cell phone back in 2003. Uh, and that one was really successful. We won an Emmy award. We ended up raising $140 million in venture capital. We went from literally three guys working in a spare room out of the back of a house to, uh, uh, 300, 400 employees around the world as one of the worldwide leaders in streaming television, which back in two, 2003 was really a, a novel thing. And so um, anyway, so, you know, we, we did a, a, a second company uh, after that, which did kind of okay. Um, you know, it was a startup. It was in business for eight years, you know, kept people gainfully employed, made a, made uh, uh, made a lot of money, um, and uh, but ultimately wasn't able to achieve um, uh, escape velocity, and we ended up closing it down. And so, right about the time that I was closing that down, uh, Paul uh, was wrapping up something that he was doing, and he was working on a project with the Stupid Buddies, uh, Seth Green, and the guys over at Stupid Buddy Studios that do Robot Chicken. And um, at the time, the idea was simply to do, it was a series of kind of content uh, around uh, Stupid Buddies. But that was just about the time that the Jobs Act was being implemented. And um, the Jobs Act was this revolutionary new set of securities laws that for the first time allows anybody in the United States to invest in a startup. Uh, prior to this, like when we raised the money for our previous startups, uh, you had to only raise money from what's called accredited investors, which are the wealthiest few percent of the population. And there were securities laws that had been set up. They've been on the books since the Great Depression uh, that that restricted it so that only people who already had wealth had the ability to invest in a small, risky startup company. It didn't matter how much education you had. It didn't matter how much you understood startups. It didn't matter how much you were investing. Um, it was only the people of means that had the, the, the capability to do this. And uh, the Jobs Act changed that. And so um, we'd been monitoring it for a while. Uh, and uh, it was just kind of the, the kind of lightning moment was the recognition that this once in a lifetime change was coming about and we were actually very well positioned to try and uh, capitalize on it. And so what went, what started off as a, a uh, what was gonna be a kind of a venture with uh, Stupid Buddy Studios uh, quickly evolved and exploded into this idea of a fan owned company that would work with Stupid Buddy Studios as well as you know, you know dozens or hundreds of other companies 
to create the world's first fan-owned entertainment company. Now, being fan-owned, how how do um, how are the fans involved um, other than uh, in investing? Yeah, well, it's a great question. So, it's at the end of the day, when you invest in a company, you are a part owner of that company. And so all of us on this call are investors. And, you know, so we all own a little bit of the company. Um, I, I'm, I'm an investor in that I've invested time as well as my own sweat equity, you know, to have shares. But um, I'm also, you know, as president of the company, I'm one of the managers of the company. And as a manager of the company, my job is to run the company to benefit the shareholders. That's the whole management team's job. Paul, um, uh, myself, Terry, David, we all effectively work for you guys and our shareholders. And the whole premise behind the company is that if you can have an entertainment company that's owned by a large group of fans, uh, then you have competitive advantages when you're releasing a movie or trying to develop a new IP uh, or whatever it is that you're trying to do. And so... Um, the, our, our job as the management team is to please our shareholders. And we do that, you know, first and foremost, you know, our job is to take your investment. If you invest $100, we want to turn it into $1,000 or $10,000. Um, but it, it, we also want to do that in, in a way that kind of... Um, that you want us to, if that makes sense. You know, it's, it's because of the fact that we are owned by fans as opposed to Wall Street investors, um, we are focused on more than simply the bottom line. And so we are constantly trying to engage our shareholder base and figure out like, what do you want to see? Like, what are the, what are the, what are the, the shows that you think are going to be successful? Um, and, um, you know, we build tools like film scout, which I'd be happy to talk about more that are specifically designed to, to get that information. And it really serves two purposes. One is we want to give you as a shareholder in the company, a voice in the decisions that we make. Um, but second of all, we also believe that leveraging this wisdom of the crowd, harnessing the collective opinions of right now we've got 25,000 investors our long-term goal is to get uh, is to get to a million but harnessing those those collective insights and wisdom and experience and and ideas uh gives us uh, an advantage that no other company has i mean uh, every company every entertainment company has to make decisions what do they green light what do they pass on you know what do they invest in what do they what do they not, you know, what do they buy at Sundance? These decisions are typically made by one or two people um, or maybe a small committee of people. But at the end of the day, they have to rely on gut instinct and intuition. And we think that that's fine, but we, we, we think that there's a better way. And this, this idea of harnessing the collective uh, wisdom of the crowd from our shareholder base is something that we think can make us more effective uh, as an entertainment company. And I think, you know, there's, probably thought processes that go in and people say, you know, you have 25,000 investors and who knows how many, you know, in the, the members only group on Facebook, but how, you know, everybody has a different taste. And I think that, is it true that you, you would look at this like 
um, you know, some people would like this movie, but because they're invested, they're still going to go out and talk about it to their friends that might be interested in something, even though, you know, I may, I may not be as a hundred percent, you know, behind movie X, but I know my, my next door neighbor loves movies like movie X. So yes. I'm going to yeah. go talk to them about it. And then that helps me in, in return. Yeah, that's a really smart point, because I think one of the things that's interesting, like just take movies, for an example. I mean, Legion M does, we do movies where we've got a number of TV shows that are in development. You know, we've done some virtual reality. We've done comic books. But if you just take movies uh, as an example, we all like different things. And it, like, I, I feel like movies are one thing that we should all be able to talk about. Right. I mean, honestly, at the end of the day, if I can't give you crap about some movie that you love and I think is utterly ridiculous, like what's the point? Right. <laughs> um, and so so everybody has different tastes and no one's ever going to be happy. And so this idea that, you know, everybody in the Legion is all going to like this one movie, you know, like I, I don't think that that's really realistic. Uh, but to your point, John, the fact that you are involved with Legion M means that you even know about the movie. And, and I think that that's really a point that a lot of people don't necessarily understand when you're talking about the business of Hollywood. And that is rising above the noise in, in entertainment is literally one of the most difficult things to do and one of the most critical things to do because I, Netflix alone has probably released more content today than I could watch today if I was doing nothing but sitting and watching Netflix all day. And you multiply that by YouTube and Hulu and Amazon and all Apple TV and Peacock and HBO Max. I mean, there's so much content out there that rising above the noise is really, uh, really one of the keys. And so if you look at, at the traditional studio audio, studio model in Hollywood, what's evolved to over the past, um, uh, over the past 10 or 20 years is it's, it's based on franchises. Um, it's based on existing IP and it's based on tentpole properties for Hollywood. It's more risky to go out and make a $20, a $20 million movie, you know, than it is to make a $150 million movie. Because they know if they make a $150 million movie, they're going to tie it to a franchise. It's going to have established actors in it that you know that you want to see. It's going to have a built-in audience that's going to be ready to come see that movie the day that it releases. Whereas if you try and create a story based on an unknown IP uh, or you know doesn't have a, an A-list actor in it, it's extremely risky. And even though you're only putting maybe $10 million, it's kind of this weird thing. It's like the cheaper the movie is, the more risky it is from a financial standpoint because of the fact that you don't know if, um, if people are going to show up for it. Um, and so it's really a shame because if you think about it, if you go back 20, 25 years, look at the top, top 10, top 20 movies, they're mostly original stories. If you look at it today, it's all franchises. And we've talked to people like Dean Devlin that have said, you know, he was one of the creators of Stargate, the original Stargate movie that launched a franchise. He said, you could not do that movie today. Like, you know, you could have maybe, you know, renamed it War of the Worlds or, you know, and adapted it to an existing IP. But Raiders of the Lost Ark, forget about it. Star Wars, like these things that became franchises, um, 
started off as original IP. And I think that that's, that's one of the really powerful things about having a company like Legion M. So, so to your point, and to get back on track to your question, what you had asked, John, is, is yeah, I mean, the fact that we've got 25,000 investors and we're growing every day. And, and like I said, our long-term goal is to someday uh, achieve a million investors. The fact that we've got people that are invested in the company, they've got a financial stake in our success. So that's part of it. But they also may have had a hand in choosing the film at Sundance, or they may have been able to go along, uh, you know, come along behind the scenes. We got some great case studies of what we've done with Arch Enemy of ways to get fans involved, like not just like watching behind the scenes clips, but literally involved with the production of the film. And so to your point, it, even if it's not something that you would normally be attracted to, you might be willing to give it a shot, or you might be willing to share it with some of your friends that you think might might like it even if it's not your cup of tea and and we think that it's it's that ability if you kind of multiply that across every single project you know we we've got dozens of projects on our slate right now where we've, we've been releasing a couple a year that have actually been been getting to market but we've got far more that are in the development phase that we're trying to get get to market but if you can apply that little competitive advantage to every single one of those projects then we think that it's something that adds up to a significant, you know, long-term competitive advantage that only Legion M has. Now the, the, um, the unknown IP you, you talk about it is that, I guess that's where the film scout comes in. Um, that was, I guess this is the second. It was the, the second, second time we did it. at Sunday. Right? Yeah. yeah. We, we've actually, we actually did one at fantastic fest before, I think. Um, but yeah, and that's and that that's just a, a, a little program where you go in, and you watch them. Now, could you do like, say, there's a local film festival, you you can go in there and and punch in, you know, I just saw X, you know, this movie at this film festival, and you know, will will somebody see that when it goes through and take a look at it or look into it or not yet. Yeah. So that's, that's not the way that it works yet. Uh, so far it's only been something that we've done at kind of major film festivals. And so it just, just to explain it, if you're not, for those of you that aren't familiar with film scout, this is an app that we created and you know, uh, that to allow our legion of investors to help us choose a movie at Sundance. And so if you're not familiar with Sundance, it's a film festival where you can go to watch movies, but it's also a film market where companies go to buy movies for distribution. And so, you know, kind of the canonical example is, you know, everybody watches the film when it premieres uh, at Sundance. Most of these movies are brand new. A lot of them have never played any place before. In fact, when we were there with Mandy a couple of years ago, they literally flew the final cut of the movie from an editing bay in Belgium to a Starbucks parking lot in Park City so they could hand it to the projectionist so they could play it in the theater uh, that night. And um, Was it even dry? <laughs> <laughs> I assume so, because it worked. I was in the theater and it worked. But um, uh, anyway, so, you know, these are brand new movies. And so the lights dim, it plays, the audience cheers at the end. Hopefully they cheer. Um, and what you're hoping is the filmmaker uh, and the producers is that some of the distributors in the audience like the movie and they want to stick around and talk to you afterwards. And what you really want is two or more of them to stick around because they both want the movie or three or more of them. And then what literally happens is they will negotiate all night long until 
4, 5 a.m. in the morning. And then they issue the press release that Hulu just bought this, you know, Palm Springs for $20 million or whatever the deal is, you know, mm-hmm. outbidding Netflix and, and Warner Brothers. So that, that, that's kind of like a little bit of the inside baseball of how Sundance works on um, the business side of it. And so for us as a company, we wanted to go to Sundance and find a film to like, we're not really big enough yet. We don't have enough money to go buy most of the films at Sundance but we could partner um, on a lot of the films at Sundance. But this year there were 124 films that we were, that, you know, we could consider. And so trying to figure out, okay, what do we want to watch is a daunting task. And so we built this app that allows anybody from anywhere in the world, you can log in. We made a game out of it. uh, The whole thing was gamified Um, and you could, um, look at movies like you can't watch them but you could look at the uh who's in it what it's about you know see images from it the exact same information that when you're scrolling through netflix like that's what you look at and make your decision what you're going to watch that's the information that you had access to and then uh, uh you i had the opportunity to tell us what you what you liked and predict what you think would be successful And so we had literally thousands of people from around the world participate in that part so that when we got to film to Sundance, it wasn't a list of 124 films that we were considering. It was maybe 10 to 20. And these are the ones that we've demonstrated people are most interested in seeing. Then at Sundance, there are hundreds of Legion M people at Sundance. Some of them are people that are go to Sundance every year. And maybe they, that's how they met us was because we, you know, we, we, we met them at Sundance and now we're just part of their thing. Um, other people it's, this is them checking off their bucket list and which by the way, you should totally do at some point, go to Sundance. Um, cause it's uh, it's an awesome experience. And if you go, go as a Legion and film scout, because you can come hang out at the Legion M lounge uh, we were partnered with Getty Studio the past two years so that all the celebrities as part of their um, uh, press junket would stop by and get their photos taken by Getty uh, in the Legion M Lounge. And we had programming every night, things like karaoke and contests and uh, uh, free food and, and beer and, and uh, special uh, specialized cocktails and all that sort of stuff. So it was really fun. But you also get to, you know, you go to movies when you, when you go to Sundance. And if you're there as a Legion of Film Scout, when you're done, we ask you to fill out a, a, a review where you talk about like what you liked and didn't like about it. And so it's the combination of that data, the thousands of people around the world telling us what they want to see and the hundreds of boots on the ground at Sundance that are watching films and filing reviews. And when we take that data and mash it together, it gives us what we believe is a really good insight into what the opportunities are. And this year it was a movie called Save Yourselves. And, you know, based on the Film Scout data at Sundance, we reached out to Bleecker Street, who was the, the company that, you know, stayed up all night and ended up winning the, uh, uh, winning the rights to distribute the movie. And once they had, 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 had won it, uh, we reached out to them and we, started talking and we struck a deal with them where we basically earned a stake in the film. So now if you're an investor in Legion M, you know, by the transitive property, (laughs) you literally have a stake in the outcome of Save Yourselves. And we released that uh, in conjunction with Bleeker about a month ago. Now, how how has... Go ahead, John. Well, for me, 
the part of what I love what you're doing is because as a fan who grew up as a fanboy that watched George Lucas and Scorsese and Spielberg to get together to start their own thing to become their own entity, which is franchises like you're talking about. But most yeah. importantly is our souls. Like my good friend, Kevin Smith, he went to Sundance shopping clerks. Yep. He made that on his own way, his own budget. With and his credit cards. He was one of the ones that got me inspired to do movies and to yeah. be a part of the industry. And what fascinated me the most about Legion M is that now I have a voice. It's on a bigger scale than I ever had before. So, sir, thank you so much for what you're doing. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you for being a part of it. <laughs> so how, how has um, 2020 and the virus and everything affected um, with – you know the, the choosing of movies with you know with the film scout program and no no festivals opening up and everything being done online yeah well it's really i mean it's such a dynamic period and um i mean for everybody and and um uh i mean obviously it's it's been devastating for for so many folks in so many industries um in specifically in the entertainment realm uh theatrical uh, distribution of films has been devastated. And, you know, there's, um, I think uh, I, th there's been reports of theater, you know, these massive theater chains that are on the brink of bankruptcy. And I think that a lot of independent theaters, you think of art houses and mom and pop theaters and, and these small chains. Um, I, I think that's it. Honestly, a lot of them are in danger of going away and never coming back just because the fact is theaters have been closed for most of the year. And when they've been open, they've been open at maybe 25% capacity. And even if they're at 25% capacity, you know, there's no new movies coming out because it, it's really kind of a fascinating time. If you're looking at, at big studios, right? So there were a bunch of movies slated to come out, you know, back in March, April, May, June, July, August. And, you know, those big releases, um, there's, there's been experiments where, like, for example, Mulan, which is a huge tentpole feature, went direct to Disney+. Plus. And I think that that's an experiment. I don't personally know how that experiment worked out for, with, for Disney. I think we'll find out if they start to do more and more of that or if they if they don't do it again. But for most of these, these movies, the fact is right now, when you're monetizing a film, there's a theatrical window where people will go pay, you know, 15 bucks, 20, you know, 10 to 15 bucks a ticket to go see it in a theater. Then there's a second window that usually is like 90 days later where people will rent it on demand. And how many times have you gone to see a movie in a theater and then gone and rented it on demand when it came out 30 days later. Like, you know, for movies that you love, and especially for the big temples, that's something that you do. And then there's another window that's usually three or four months later where it comes out and now it's free on Hulu or Netflix or something like that. And, and the, each one of those represents a big bite of money that the studio gets to offset the cost of making that film. And so the problem is, is that when you take away that first bite that that uh, of, of theatrical that completely breaks the economics for some films because you know you're not going to rent it twice it's not like you rent it once and then rent it again 
Um, so it really, it, it just, it takes a huge bite at the apple away from the studios. And so for the really big films, the stuff like Black Widow and Bond and Free Guy and, and Dune, these are all just in the can. And, you know, they're going to come out like once theaters start to come back because the, the, the studios need that money in order to justify the expense that they split on the, the, split on the film. But what that has created is a little bit of a vacuum, which can create an opportunity for smaller films to take advantage of that. Because like I said, so there's, there's, there's these windows. And so if there's a train, if you think of it, there's a train of movies that are going through the movie theater, um, you know, Black Widow one week, James Bond the next week, you know, um, Dune the, the week after that the, they, they, they go through in that order. And then three months later, they go through iTunes in that same order, right? That, and, and all, you know, Amazon and all the places where you rent movies. And so the fact that they're not going through the first station means they're also not going through the second station. And so for some of these smaller films, um, it creates an opportunity maybe for them to do a little bit more in theaters then they, you know, get into more theaters um, than they normally would. Although, like I said, what we've seen, because we've had a couple of releases in the past couple of weeks, is that theatrical is really tough. Um, but people are at home. They still, they're watching more, you know, streaming than ever. They're still renting movies. And so that second bite of the apple for films that were less, that were not necessarily reliant on theatrical, uh, it, it creates opportunities for them. Because there's a lot of movies that are not designed around the theatrical experience. Like the theatrical is nice, but really their bread and butter is going to be when the film comes out on demand and then when it comes out on streaming. And what was the what was the last uh, movie you you went to see in a theater and sat down with a bucket of popcorn? Uh, the last one I saw was Save Yourselves, and you know, um, part of that. And I had to travel to see it because it's not playing anywhere near me. I had to travel one day. I traveled two and a half hours so I could go out to a meetup. Uh, in Rockland, which was, you know, uh, a haul for me, but uh, that was one of the closest places that I could see it. And so uh, the other time was, uh, was a little bit closer, but literally it was a, it was kind of a late show. It was like a 10 PM showing. It was in a huge theater, not a huge, but a, a good sized theater with probably 45 luxury recliner seats. Right. And um, they had blocked off all but 10 of the seats uh, for sale. Right. Because, you know, like they can't put anything on the aisles and then they want it. They have, they put social distancing in between chairs. And so of the 45 seats, only 10 of them were available to purchase the 7 p.m. showing sold out, you know, with a whopping 10 seats. So we decided to see the 10 p.m. showing and there was nobody in it. So it was myself and I, I had my, my two daughters with me and we had the entire theater to ourselves. So, yeah, it, I've, uh, I've that's kind of the state of the world today. Yeah, I haven't been to a movie since February. I, I suffered through The Invisible Man. Oh, my God. That's what you ended on? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it, 2020 has been all downhill from there. So, John, yeah. like, no, uh, no uh, 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 Mandy, was, was Mandy playing near you when we... No. Uh, oh, okay, you must not live near an Alamo then. No, I do not. Okay. Yeah. No. How about you, Jeff? What was the last movie that you saw? In a theater. I was going to tell you, it was December uh, for Star Wars, the last Star Wars film. Okay. Okay. And I was planning on go seeing the new James Bond when it came out, but of course, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had my whole summer, my whole calendar was booked, you know, with, 
I'm going this week. I'm going this week. I'm going this week. And it just, it just stopped. Yeah. And, yeah. um, it's, well, it's, it's tough. And it's, you know, like, it's hard to get too bent out of shape out of it. I mean, so many people are so affected by COVID in right. so many ways and, you know, that are so more, more dramatic and, or devastating than, than simply, you know, movies, but it, it is, it is, I, I feel like, you know, one of the artifacts of, of this whole thing is that a lot of the stuff is fundamentally changing. We're accelerating trends that were already happening. The, the move to watch stuff online, you know, the growth of, uh, I mean, to be honest, it couldn't have happened at a better time for things like Peacock and, you know, Apple TV and, and all of these new streaming services because people have more time than ever. They're looking for content. They're trying things. Um, and it, it really, it, I think it's going to, just like many things, there's going to be lasting, it's going to leave a mark on the movie industry going forward. This isn't a temporary blip and then everything's going to go back. Like it's going to go back but it's going to be different when, when things, when things go back. Now, is there going to be an, uh, an effect to Arch Enemy releasing on in December? There's already been an effect in that. Um, I don't know that it would have released in December. I think originally they were looking at early 2021. Um, but I think part of, you know, I, I don't know all the strategy. I mean, the whole release date timing is a fascinating just thing because it's, it's like, um, you know, it's all of these different competitors that are trying to place their movies. And, um, you know, when you place it, the date is important. Like, what is the time of year? And, you know, is this a good fit for it? But also like, okay, well, what else opened this week? You know, what opened the previous week? One of our, we learned this really the hard way with um, Bad Samaritan back two years ago, because mm -hmm. that was a film that we were working with Dean Devlin on. Dean, Dean was the distributor and they worked so hard. I mean, we were on every single one of those calls, you know, and they worked so hard. Uh, they changed the date like three times because they were trying to, you know, it was a small movie, but they're kind of tiptoeing around these giant tent poles, you know, trying to figure out. And they, the date they settled on was the week after uh, Avengers Infinity War. And so, you know, they, everybody knew that Avengers Affinity War was going to be big, but, you know, I don't, nobody knew that it was going to become the biggest movie of all time at, at, at the time. That's I think right. it got clips when Endgame came out, but uh, um, anyway, so it's just like, it's, it's kind of, it, it's always a challenge and, you know, best laid plans and all that sort of stuff. But, uh, but yeah, you know, I, I, I what, what we saw with Bleecker and Save Yourselves, and I imagine that this is the same thing with Arch Enemy is basically these distributors saying like, look, we don't know what's going to be happening with COVID. I mean, honestly, the way things that are trending right now, I don't know that any theaters will be open come December 11th. Um, uh, but uh, what you do is you kind of build your strategy around the online release and the iTunes rentals and all that sort of stuff, Amazon rentals. And if the theatrical comes in, then that's great. You know, we work, we, we've seen with uh, both uh, Arch or sorry, Save Yourselves and the Mandy re-release that some of the best money in film and theatrical today is coming from drive-ins, um, which I got to say actually warms my heart a little bit because I've always been a huge drive-in fan. Mm -hmm. And uh, the fact that they're, you know, having a complete renaissance, you know, and it's some of the most valuable real estate and entertainment today is the, the, the lot uh, that hosts the flea market on Sundays is, uh, is I, I just love it. 
Well, they had a they had a drive in two weeks ago here in the parking lot of the Walmart. Yes. Yeah. And uh, it's, my wife's like, "You want to go watch a movie?" I'm like, "Not at Walmart." <laughs> It's funny, like, uh, we've actually toyed around with the idea of doing a pop-up drive-in for Legion M. And, you know, like, our, our kind of thoughts are two things. First of all, it'd be really fun. We've always wanted to be able to, like, take one of our movies on tour and do, like, a Mandy, you know, but also make it a little bit more than just a movie. I, I, I think there's a big opportunity, you know, part of the, in my mind, what makes going to a theater unique uh, it, it obviously depends on the movie, um, but is the community, right? Like there's nothing like being in a crowded theater for the opening of a movie that everybody's excited about and people are cheering when the movie starts. And, you know, you're hanging out in line with people that share this common interest and people are dressed up. I mean, that to me is kind of the magic of it. And at the end of the day, like I can watch that same movie at home and, and a lot of people have a screen and a sound system at home that probably rivals, you know, the experience that they're getting, you know, audio visually at the theater, but you can't replicate the people. And so that's, that's what we would want to do is try and lean into the community part of it. How can we make this a drive-in movie a little bit more like a rock concert, you know, than just a sterile screening of a film? And, you know, how can we, you know, play games or have things that you can throw at the screen or, you know, whatever, just turn it into a, turn it into a big old party. Well, I know the like Rocket Horror Picture Show. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The, the meetups that I've hosted um, have the people that come out, they're just, it's, it's sometimes you, you, it's more fun to hang out after the movie Yeah, and talk about the movie um, because yeah. you know, when you're in it's a dark theater and you're sitting by yourself in your own little bubble watching what's happening on the screen, but then you know, when you go go out and hit the Applebee's afterwards, not a sponsor, um, <laughs> and uh, and just hang out and 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 toss a couple down and you know, have your you know, uh, potato skins and talk about the movie, it's that is what to me brings out the the love of. And then a, a connection to the movie. It's not really the movie itself, but it's the experience afterwards that you had with everybody that you went with. I agree. I 100% agree. And it's really a shame that Save Yourselves. I mean, I, if I think back at our movies, there's there, you know, there there's some movies that you should see in a theater. Like Mandy is a great one. If you get a chance to see that in a theater, see it in a theater. Because the soundtrack, the visuals, like it's just like that's a movie like a Star Wars, that you want to see that in a theater. But um, there's also films that I think really benefit, and Save Yourselves uh, would have benefited from a broad theatrical relief, kind of like pre-COVID rele uh, release, in, in two ways. One is, um, I've noticed this with comedies. Like, it's, it's really interesting. When you watch a comedy at home, it's dramatically different than if you watch it in a crowded theater. Because all it takes is one person laughing you know, that kind of gives permission to the whole theater to laugh. And the next thing you know, you've got a laugh track. Like there's a reason why television puts laugh tracks on sitcoms because you find things funnier and you're more willing to laugh if people are laughing with you. And so like, like that's a movie. I saw it in, in Sundance with a theater that was so live that I missed 
you know, half the movie because people were laughing through and you couldn't hear the next line. And it was so fun. And, 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 and I feel like, um, you know, that was a movie where, where that it, it really benefited. Cause then when you watch it at home and you're in a sterile environment and, Oh, your phone's buzzing. So you're going to check your phone. Like mm -hmm. it just, it totally takes you out of it. Well, one um, of, one of my, you know, greatest memories is, um, I was working at a movie theater in uh, on Long Island, and uh, the first Home Alone came out, and I got to go to a screening um, of it the week before for employees, uh, and I took my dad. And the scene where they're breaking into the house, I didn't watch the screen once. <laughs> I was watching my dad laugh. His I had never seen my dad laugh as hard at a movie than watching that, that break-in scene in Home Alone. And it, you know, there's it's like, it's embedded in my brain and it always makes me smile and, and get chills and teary-eyed all at the same time thinking about it because that's, that's, there's an emotional connection to, to certain, certain movies and seeing it with a group of people, you know, I'm, I'm, I got to see a sneak preview of Ishtar in a crowded house and it was hysterical people, people thought it was the funniest movie they'd ever seen and then one critic comes out and says this is garbage and then there's nobody in the theater next week yeah 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 no i it's i classic now man <laughs> i haven't seen ishtar since ishtar came out I'll, I'll have to go back with that in mind john and see i i totally agree like i i feel like it's really it's the difference between listening to music and going to a concert right being around people it's that energy and and even if the quality of the music you know the fidelity of the music is better if you're sitting in your car turning up the turning up the, the stereo than it is at the concert but i'll you know take that concert a hundred times you know mm -hmm. out of a hundred because of the fact that you want to be there with people you want to be able to you know, maybe drink something or just have some fun and, 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 and let loose. And one of my favorite movie experiences that I remember is I saw Misery with Kathy Bates in a full theater in Westwood uh, opening night. And oh my God, you know, like the, the, you know, when she's got the sledgehammer and like people and the whole, you know, the whole theater's like, no, no, don't do it. You know, don't go down there. And it was just like, it was one of the funnest things ever. <laughs> yeah. Cause you know, and, and, you know, going back to, to current events, you know, I, I don't remember the first time I listened to a Van Halen song, but I remember the first time that I went to a Van Halen concert. And that's, I think that's what the difference is. Yeah. Yeah. Totally so um, how has, um, if for anybody that doesn't um, know, can we, can we go into Arch Enemy? Can you speak about yes. it? Just give it a, a description and, Tell everybody what uh, what to expect. Yeah, absolutely. No, so Arch Enemy is uh, is our newest movie. It's the one. It's coming out December eleventh. Um, uh, I believe it's theater in theaters and on demand the same day. I don't know the specific details, um, but if it's not the same day, then it's within a day of you know or two or something like that. But uh, um, it stars Joe Manganiello and. Um, Glenn Howerton and uh, Zoli Griggs and Skylin Brooks and 
you know, a whole great cast of folks. It's, uh, it was produced by Spectravision, which is the company that produced um, Mandy and Color Out of Space, uh, as well as, you know, kind of a whole suite of films. But if you know those films or if you know Spectravision, you know, they've got a very independent, you know, very like if they're going to if you're going to go see a Spectravision movie, it's going to be, you know, different. It's, you know, because they're not going to, you know, this is not a, a, um, you know, kind of mainstream take on stuff sometimes. Uh, but this film, I, I think, is a, is a fairly mainstream story, you know, and I think is probably one of the more commercial ones that, that Spectrovision has done. Uh, it's written and directed by Daniel Egypt Mortimer that did Daniel Isn't Real. Um, have you guys seen Daniel Isn't Real by chance? No. No. You should check it out. Like, if you like horror, um, and it's not, it, it's kind of, I mean, it's horror-ish. It's not like a slasher horror movie or anything like that. It's, it's, it's definitely a little bit scary, but it's also... Uh, I think very original and thought provoking. And I think that that's kind of what, like I have a lot of respect for Daniel Egypt Mortimer uh, in that regard. And so, um, yeah, I mean, what we're looking at is uh, there's a trailer for it, which you can see, and that'll describe the movie far better, you know, than, than I can, but it's, it's basically the story of a, uh, an old drunken hobo uh, effectively who claims that he was a superhero uh, from another dimension and nobody believes them, uh, except for this, uh, this young kid. Uh, and it's, it's their story, uh, of them together. And then when the kid gets into trouble, how this guy, uh, reacts and responds to it. And it's just, it's, uh, um, I think it's, it's a really cool movie. Um, it's, it's a totally different, you know, kind of take. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's, it's fun and original. Like we're super excited about it. And like I said earlier, uh, Legion M was heavily more involved than we ever have been in the production of the film. So, you know, like if you go in, you'll see the Legion M logo at the front of the movie instead of at the end of the movie, uh, the way that it is a lot of times when we uh, get involved late. Um, the car that Joe Manganiello drives uh, was actually came from a Legion M member um, or a Legion M investor. And what happened was when they got into filming, uh, they had a bunch of production needs. And we said, well, hey, we got a lot of shareholders that might be interested. Like, what do you guys need? Do you need extras? And they're like, yeah. So we, we supplied extras. You'll see a bunch of Legion M extras in that movie. Um, they were like, what else do you need? And they're like, really? And, and so uh, one of the things that they were going to do was they were going to rent a car you know, a, a, a movie car um, and they were going to have to damage it in during the filming. And they're like, you know, but if you've got somebody that's got a car, like we're going to fix the damage, right? We're going to have to replace their windshield. But, uh, um, and so we created a web page where people that had cars that fit the description of what the director was looking for, which was like, a, he was looking for like a modern day Dodge Challenger or something like that. And um, people submitted and one of the cars that submitted wasn't a modern day Dodge Challenger-ish vehicle. It was a vintage El Camino. And the director said, holy, uh, that's the one that I want. And so it, we ended up in that investor just happened to be, you know, in a situation where he could take the time off and he brought his car and he was on set every day and his car is in the movie. And now it's, you know, he drives the car, the movie car, which is, you know, is, is super cool. And so, 
those, those are just kind of some of the examples. I mean, those are probably some of the best examples of ways that, again, we're trying to, we feel this goes back to what I was saying, as managers of the company, we want to do more than have you financially invest in the company. We want to figure out ways that we can open the gates of Hollywood and allow you, uh, allow our investors to participate. And particularly if it's in, when it's in ways like this, where it can actually benefit, uh, benefit the film and, and, and help the, the production. And again, we're only four years into this, but we're constantly experimenting when we're trying new things and some of them work and some of them don't. But at the end of the day, we've got now all these different case studies that when we're engaging with a new director, we're like, oh, well, you know, we've done this before. Would you like to do that? And, um, you know, a lot of them are like, oh, wow, you can do that. That's awesome. And um, investing is open right now in round seven, correct? Yes. Yeah. 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 We have a round open now. It's not always open. Um, there's a lot. So everything that we do is regulated by the SEC which means that we have to do uh, public filings. We have to present uh, pu audited public financial statements uh, once a year and non-audited uh, interim results um, in, in, at the midpoint of the year. Uh, we have to go through bad actors checks. Anytime we're going to open a new um, uh, round under a regulation, we've got to file paperwork for it. And so there's a lot that goes into it and we're not always open, uh, but we, we are do happen to be open now you can if, if it's anything if, if you're interested in checking it out you can go to uh just uh legionm.com uh and you'll find links there uh and um you know it's it's uh we we aim to make it as easy as possible to get involved and um you can also join legion m for free if if for folks that are not uh if you're not ready to invest or you're not sure about investing or you don't have money right now um, or whatever, you know, if you want to just check it out before you, mm -hmm. you, uh, you jump in, you can join for free and uh, we've got a free members only Facebook group that you can join and we do things all the time. Like uh, we're looking right now, if there's a way for us to do a virtual premiere for Arch Enemy, uh, we did an actual premiere. Uh, it premiered at Beyond Fest uh, in Los Angeles, and, and we it, it was at a drive-in movie theater. And so we literally bought half of the, the I don't know, not seats, the stalls, the spots in the drive-in movie theater. Mm -hmm. We bought half of them um, and then sold them to the Legion just at price. Like we weren't trying to make money. It was just we wanted to reserve them because the, those showings always sold out sell out. And so, you know, half of, I think we had like 150 people at that drive-in movie to see uh, the opening night premiere with, uh, you know, the cast was there, the director was there, um, all of the producers and everybody involved. And so we did that. And that's great for people that are in LA, but we'd like to find, we always want to try and find ways that we can expand that. And so we've talked about doing some sort of virtual premiere party uh, where maybe people from around the, around the world, frankly, could, could, could join us for a night, you know, before it comes out. Well, that's uh that's something that I saw online and I was like, Oh, why can't I just live a little bit closer? Yeah, it's really tough. And you know, it, it's funny because like a lot of people, um, I mean, you're fortunate, John, because you know, you're in, in Texas and, and have had the chance to come out to fantastic fest and, and stuff like that, you know, but I mean, there's really only, I mean, Austin, uh, we did, uh, we did the George R. Martin screening of, uh, uh, Tolkien and, um, was it uh, Albuquerque? Um, you know, we've done stuff in New York. We've done stuff in LA. We've done stuff in Chicago. But 
it's it's really hard like just geography is hard <laughs> and so you know there's only we have a small team and I, I'd love nothing more literally to just drive around the country and like, you know, do events, but unfortunately, well, especially when it takes three days, you know, just to drive across Texas. <laughs> I know. I've driven across Texas, not all the way, but I had to drive. Uh, uh, I went to South by Southwest one year and I drove and um, I was, I was hustling. It was a buddy of mine and we were trying to get, we got, I think we got from San Francisco to Austin in like 40 hours or something like that but it was wow. almost on stuff we were shift driving so like you know he'd drive while i'd sleep and and vice versa but yeah i gained a real appreciation for just how large texas is and just how little there is in it <laughs> when, yeah. when you're outside of the major cities i drove uh, i had to i had to take my son's car to his um his military base when he got off of leave and i drove from dallas to um, Palm Springs, mm -hmm. 26 hours. Oh my goodness. Wow. You were cranking and sleepy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. wild. That's wild. So I noticed behind you, you have a bunch of, uh, bunch of collectibles. Um, you, I have a bunch of things on here that are, are, you know, on display the stuff that means stuff to me. Jeff has got, I don't know what Jeff has got behind him. There looks like arcade. <laughs> Is arcade games. Is there anything um, that, that you could share that's um, special to you? Because um, uh, we have we have a new segment that we'd like to um, introduce to the show uh, just for this occasion. Um, hopefully, going forward, also it's something we call "If you show me yours, I'll show you mine." So. What do you have? I'll, I'll reach into my box here and I'll pull out something that I have. Okay. If you show me something that you have. Okay. Sounds good. Who starts? Do you start or do I well, start? You have to show me yours and then I'll show you mine. And then you'll show me. Yeah. Okay. Didn't All right. Read, didn't you read the thing that came across the screen? <laughs> well, I wasn't sure who the you was and who the I was in this scenario, but. All right. Um, I'll tell you what. I'm going to start with. Um, I'm going to start with this. So one of my careers, I've had probably what I would consider like four different careers uh, in, in my lifetime so far. I'm, I'm only 48, so I still have time for a couple more. Um, but before I was a uh, fan-owned entertainment guy, um, I was a toy designer. And this is, um, well, first of all, can you recognize what, what that is, what character it is? That is a droid. Oh, yeah. It's, it's a destroyer droid from episode one. And the reason that I have this is because I was working at a division of Hasbro when episode one came out. And uh, this was a toy that we had designed. Now, this is obviously a prototype. That's why it's all these crazy clown colors is because when they're making the first prototypes of it, uh, or sorry, it's not a, um, a prototype. It's a, um, oh God, like a, a first, shoot, uh, the name is escaping me. It's one of the first ones off of the line. Right. So a prototype is one like a one of a kind. This is when they're firing up the machines. They've built all the molds for the injection molding for all of these pieces. And the first ones, uh, when they're coming off the line, they just use whatever color plastic happens to be in the machine. So they don't have to. It's always a cost to switch over to, you know, whatever. This is probably what plastic was going to be used in the overall thing. Mm -hmm. um, 
Anyway, I'll give you one guess as to what this does. It, it has a special kind of functionality aside from just looking like a destroyer droid. Oh, I don't know. Let's, let's anything. See. Jeff, John, any idea what this might do? Could it be maybe like a transformer? Uh, it's not a transformer, but uh, I, that's a good guess. It, it's kind of like along those lines. I did. That would be my guess that it would it would roll up into a ball and you can shoot yeah. it out of something. Yeah, it kind of rolls up a little bit, like it's articulated. But no, it is a candy dispenser. His wow. uh, hat comes off, and you would put little M and M minis. You know those little tiny ones mm -hmm. that come in the tube. You would pour those in, and then it's hard for me to do without setting on a table. But you would rotate his head forward like that with your hand underneath and a little M&M would drop out. And so this was part of a uh, of a set. There was this one and there was an R2-D2. I don't have any of those hanging around. Um, and uh, anyway, it's just kind of special. I love it because it was one of my favorite ones that I worked on there. This one actually, they went all the way through the process. As you can see, these were the first parts off of the mold, um, but it never went into actual production because it fell behind because of the engineering. It's, this is, you know, there's a, a little mm -hmm. bit of complexity there. And by that time, episode one, you know, was getting a little close. There was so much episode one pro product out there. I'm sure you guys remember, like you mm -hmm. couldn't buy anything you could literally want to buy. There was a Star Wars episode one version of it, you know, whether mm -hmm. it was soap, you know, socks, <laughs> whatever. And um, anyway, so it never made it into production. So this is, I, there's like, you know, this is the only one that has the crazy colors, but there, there's only about 10 or 15 of these that even exist in the world. So, so that's, that's where we're going. Sure. What's right, that? Right up on eBay, right? Yeah, 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 maybe. I don't know. I don't know no, how you much make a phone call to this guy first. <laughs> <laughs> of course. So, all right. One of the one of the, the the special things that I have, and I don't have him hanging up because I'm just so afraid that, like, when you have kids, you have things that mean stuff to you, and then they they use them, and you're not supposed to use. That's not supposed to be used. And my my mother had gotten me uh, the whole set. Um, I don't you know if you remember the Hamilton collection going through. Going through Star Magazine, and they, you know, they're selling the the the, the Christmas displays and the and the and the uh, cups and the saucers. She got me the whole set of oh painted, wow um, Star Wars plates. The that's beautiful, John. This is this is the oh, um, this is Return of the Jedi, and is it um, numbered? It is numbered. Uh, four hundred and seventy-six. Wow! Oh, I have I have the whole collection of that, and um, how many plates are in the collection? It's it's just the three. Okay. This, this is from uh, this is from the from the late eighties, I think. Um, there's no date on it. It just says Return of the Jedi premiered on May twenty fifth, nineteen eighty three. Uh, this edition is limited to a total of 28 firing days. So they oh, only wow. made this. Nate says 1992. Okay. Uh, they only made this for 28 days, this and the other two. And the reason that they're in a box is because 
my son had the one for the Empire Strikes Back, and he was about to put macaroni and cheese on it. <laughs> and it, this is the first time it's been out of the box since uh, since I moved to Texas, probably in 2011. So, oh, that's um, really cool. Well, that is beautiful, John. And I, yeah, that is that is gorgeous, and also you know very memorable. Yeah. Well. Thank you. Uh, it's it's so great to 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 talk to you again. It's been a while. Well, so um, how about Jeff though? We haven't seen oh, his. I didn't think he had anything. He didn't. Well, yeah. he, he usually doesn't come prepared. <laughs> well, what I got here is a very unique Star Wars book because it's got all the storyboards from the original three Star Wars. Oh wow! It's it's released to the public, but yeah, it's it's called uh. Oh, sorry. Uh, there you go. Storyboard Star Wars. Wars. All three. That is beautiful. I love storyboards. And, you know, like I, I that that's a really cool thing to have. And, you know, something like I you just put it on your coffee table and, and uh, you know, when you're just hanging out, just, just kind of check it out. I, I think that that's always so cool. And, you know, especially for something, it's kind of interesting that all three of us chose Star Wars as our uh, as our special yeah. thing. Small world, huh? It is. I it guess is you know world. when you, when you hit our age, Star Wars is the thing that got us interested in doing what we're doing. Yeah. Right. So. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm. Uh, oh, geez, fifty one. So, hopefully, to Youngsters. make fifty two. Yeah, we're, we're the youngsters, Old right? man. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the whippersnapper on the call. You're young. Get off my lawn. <laughs> All right. Well, you guys you. only knew the days I've gone through. That's <laughs> right. That's right. He had to do his podcast uphill in the snow. <laughs> okay. yeah. We called you on the rotary phone. <laughs> well, Jeff, I, it's it's been it's been great to uh, to to catch up with you um i really i really miss hanging out at the uh the meetups and i miss everybody in the in the local area going to the going to the theaters and you know um hopefully someday it'll turn around and we'll get back to normal business and whatever normal business was yep so. i agree i i i don't think it's an if i think it's a win and you know like i i i, I it'll definitely happen and i think we're gonna come back better than ever and you know legion m we're we're excited to you know we we can't wait to uh to, to get back to those days because i think community is so important and you know there, there's there's so much that you can do virtually like this and i think there's a lot of it's opened the doors to a lot of wonderful things but uh there's nothing that replaces the ability to hang out and share a beer and eat barbecue. <laughs> right. That's the best part. That's right. Yeah, that's right. All right. Thank you, sir. Well, we thank you guys for having me on the show. Give, uh, give my best to uh, Paul, Terry and David and um, onward and upward. Onward and upward. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, Jeff, that'll, uh, that'll conclude it again for another week of the geek and I podcast. Do you have any, special uh, thing you'd like to uh, to get out there for um, the collector zone well of course you know i post my videos almost daily please check it out at the collector zone youtube channel uh and i appreciate all my new subscribers it's growing and i'm beautifully uh, uh appreciative of every soul so thank you all right and uh, in jeff in jeff dickinson words what will we do 
Oh, man. Until next time. Laters.